Between a Rock and a Hard Place. I'm Hannah. And I'm Colleen. And we're here to tell you a little bit about life in Iraq. Woohoo! So we talked about female and male-dominated spaces. When you were around Kurdish or Arabic women, did you, how much of that tension did you feel? Was it uncomfortable? And how much of that do you think came from what you know and like women actually being like, hey, don't talk to me? So in general, uh, I almost never speak to women publicly that I don't know. Sure. Right. So if I'm at a restaurant like, and it's very natural, common, just to be ignored. Right. Because because uh, girls go out with girls and they, you know, that's that's their time. And th- there is a lot of it is a bit of a it is a bit of a dance, though. Right. Because um, there's dynamics between, you know, the guys and the girls. Right. Even if they never speak to each other, there's stuff going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so and everybody's kind of very closely curating their image. Right. Mm-hmm. through both phone, social media, and presence in public spaces. So so, so that's, uh, I would say that, but in general, I don't really get to talk, I don't, or don't talk to people um, that I don't know. Uh, and and uh, now if I, you know, if I have students and their families, then by all means, always show respect and greet, greet people publicly um, when you recognize them. And it's, people do like to be recognized. And so publicly, so whether you're, you know, a, a guy or a girl, if you're, if you're talking, if you recognize someone, it's, it's good to, I think, um, recognize them publicly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tensions. I can't think of a lot of tensions that I, that I've, that I've felt. Uh, I haven't been in too many difficult situations. Um, I think when when moving between communities, uh, I think I felt more tension, or I've at least been more aware, because things are changing based on the community I'm working with, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I was very comfortable around Kurdish Kurdish people, right? Um, I taught taught them, um, had a lot of interaction, but when I moved to Yazidis. Well, that's a whole different story of uh, of what's w- what's going on there. So, and then there's Christian communities too. So, I think moving between communities, uh, it's the process of kind of learning and being just very observant, right, of mm-hmm. your surroundings and what h- how you're how you're treated as a guest. So, being a guest is a is a you know superpower and skill that you have to develop to be a good guest. And they are extraordinary hosts, right? And that's also something we have to learn. I think I think the ladies have to learn that a lot with greater detail because they'll get really judged if they're bad hosts, right? Yes, um, yes. And and I'm I, people would just assume that I would be clueless about that because I'm a guy and and I'm, you know, not married. So they would just assume that I not able to host or cook or do anything but so so there's differences there but uh then when i was in southern iraq i was really on high alert because i had no idea what i was doing there and there's other complications of you know having spent no time there before and then totally different religious community uh that i'm working in and then uh i was 
teaching at an all girls school <laughs> where all the conservative families sent their sent their daughters so that they would have no interaction with men. So mm-hmm. that was that then I was super trying to be on my best behavior, but that without knowing all the rules. In general, I think that the reason maybe I haven't felt a lot of tension is that Iraqis overlook faults a lot for foreigners and mm-hmm. they are very generous. And if you do say, say something that's horribly awkward or wrong, they'll try to rectify the situation for you or it'll be left unsaid and you'll never know about what you did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But everybody else will. So uh, I've probably you know, made, a, made many, many mistakes that people have generously overlooked. Um, it's, it's a real lesson in hospitality, the fact that people are not quick to take offense, but to kind of sidestep that for your sake. When I first went to Kurdistan, I definitely felt nervous around ladies because I, I had no idea what the, I expected it to be a lot more conservative than it was. How did you see the expat community change while you were there or in the different places that you were? So I think the expat community was a lot smaller and more tight knit when I, when I first arrived mm-hmm. and, and they're composed of a lot of, a lot of families actually that had been working in the area for quite a while. So uh, a lot of people who, who had a lot of context in, in the cities they lived in and the places they lived in. Uh, and over time, there's just been so much more turnover and so much more volume of foreigners coming through and not just West, not just Americans, but people from all over, right? Um, aid, aid, or, aid organizations, international aid organizations uh, from all, all sorts of countries have been through. So, so, so for the place, they have gotten used to seeing a lot more foreigners pass through work and leave. So I'll say like, there's le- there's way less of a wow factor now when when a foreigner arrives, you might get stopped on the street. People might people will always want to know where you're from, what you're doing, and, and that that's an area of interest that will stay. But it's it's a little less of a novelty to, mm-hmm. to, to society that that there'd be someone like you there working. So so the kind of work has changed. There's a lot of aid that's come in. And for between 2015 and 2017, 18, there was just a lot, a lot of organizations. Since then, it's become very small again. So the, the there's far fewer organizations working in Iraq, and and so it's becoming a smaller community again, from from my observation. Those organizations are still there, but maybe they've pulled their offices out of Suli or Dehuk. And maybe they have one big office in Erbil and then they have, you know, whatever, whoever their staff are will be local partners in, you know, Suli, Dehuk or any other region. Mm-hmm. And they won't actually have a lot of foreign workers in, in those places. And a lot of, a lot of those aid organizations shifted to Southern Iraq, to Mosul after 2017 now I'm not sure where they are. Uh, so yeah. So so the cities have grown a lot uh, over those same years. A lot more shopping, a lot more malls. Um, there's just been a. The cities have grown quite a bit in in the last years. And over, let's see, yeah, over the last 
seven years, the, the biggest growth, I think, in like a city like Dehuk or, or Beale has been from people moving from southern Iraq into mm. the Kurdish. You have lots of lots of Christians and Sunnis and some Shia groups all relocating their homes to to these uh, northern Kurdish cities. So that's the biggest growth. Did seen. you find most of your friendship and community in the expat community or in other places? I think while I worked at the high schools, most of my community was my team and the students and their families. And mm-hmm. that was a really, really wonderful experience being, being so connected to families. So most of my community would not have been expats during the first years. But after, when I moved to Duhok, that kind of flipped. Most of my community at that time was, were, were the, you know, uh, inter- international workers and uh, people working in the camps and, and my team. And so I think some of that was a difference between maybe Suli and Duhok, but also just having less of a foundation in Duhok with, with families Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think Dehook is a little bit more private of a city. So because of that, most of my community were expats in Dehook, uh, my own team, or non-native people in Dehook. What, what I mean is not people from Dehook. Right. So I had a whole bunch of Christian friends from Mosul who, who were displaced out of Mosul, and I'd hang out with them a lot. Or uh, I had a lot of y- Yazidi friends who, uh, from Sinjar, or, or even even Syrian friends who'd come who'd come from over from Syria and now we're living in Dehuk. So basically, I, I found that a lot of the families uh, who, who who had moved moved migrated to Dehuk uh, were up for starting friendships, right, and relationships, and up for having having me over to their homes and connecting or going out. And so it just shifted because it seemed that uh, a lot of people from Dehuk were pretty well established there. And I, I find that the circles of friendships are go really deep, but sometimes the circles are rather small. In my case, I ended up connecting with more people from outside. That's not to say I don't know people from Dehook, but right. yeah. in general. I noticed that more in Dehook than even in Hellier, that it was like they didn't know how to be friends with people outside of the friends that they kind of grew up with, because Dehook is a little bit more villagey. And everybody's that's there is there and has been there forever. And their grandparents were friends. And so there was a little bit of a like, we like you and we want you to be part of this, but we don't know. We're not quite sure how that works. Yeah, so- I'd, I'd agree. Because I think the pe- people in Hook are very, very respectful people. They, they treat you very courteously wherever you go, generally. Uh, but but the, you know, the how, how you connect and be friends, that's that's a different question. And I think that that's, you know, a testament to actually, uh, up until recently, it has been a very small place with not a lot of foreigners there. So it's understandable that that's kind of an adjustment. Also, they're, they have a, you know, a long history and, you know, deep, deep connections to families and neighbors and very close with cousins and mm-hmm. uh, siblings and big families. So if you think about it, they have a very rich social life already. this is the middle the middle of the podcast where we interrupt ourselves to tell you things 
And the only thing I really want to tell you is that you should go to Iraq because it's awesome and we'd love to get you there. Did you have a favorite food while you lived in Iraq? I think the best food in Iraq is home food. <laughs> and again, I didn't spend much time in people's homes. So, <laughs> but, but actually I love uh, dolma and yapra and, uh, and there's some, some meat dishes that I really like. I really like koozie, uh, which is like this slow cooked lamb over rice that's just very tender and delicious they've got a lot of good food so did you ever go out at night with with the guys and do the serupe the head and foot soup definitely did do that yes and actually it tastes really good so if if you can get past the description (laughs) i i kind of liked it (laughs) great did you have any favorite adventures or experiences oh man let's see I mean, of course, but there's just, there's just a lot to choose from. (laughs) I think I I did, I did survive a high speed taxi crash on a highway. And I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that story over the years. Should I, should I go there? Yeah, you should (laughs) tell the story. It's a good one. Well, it was, I was on my way to, to get a flight out of the country for Christmas to, meet a cousin in Germany. I got in a cab between Suli and Erbil to get there. And it was, it was a full cab. So I was in the back middle seat with no seatbelts. The back seat almost never has seatbelts. Yeah. And the two, two people in the front did have seatbelts. So it, we were going and he just, when it came to the, you know, straight, straight portion of the highway between uh, Kirkuk and Erbil, he just started going so fast. And I think when I last looked at the speedometer, we were going 160 kilometers an hour. Somewhere somewhere near like that's I think that's like about 90. Uh Um but eventually somebody uh tried to cut us off and we lost control of the car. And uh we we slid into the divider of the highway and um crashed into it and flipped over. And then the vehicle started rolling across the, the uh, oncoming lanes of traffic. And as we are rolling, my door uh, bends off the car. And then I fall out of the car with the two, two other guys. So this all happened very fast. Yeah. the next thing, the next thing I was aware of was that I I was out outside of the car, face down in a field, um, and I had all this like kind of moist dirt in my mouth, and oh. so I, I guess I I wasn't aware of whether I had legs or not, or whether the car was on, on top of me or what what was going on, but um, so I just thought figured I'd just lay there, and uh, <laughs> when I when I looked over. There was another guy face down and then to my left and the other guy on my right was in the same position. But I just look at them and they just they just hopped on their feet immediately and just kind of like casually were like brushing off the, the dirt from their clothes as if like nothing had happened. So so we're, we were perfectly fine. I had, we'd miraculously landed on a field with with moist dirt between Kirkuk and Erbil. 
And I, I stayed there just a little longer laying down because I didn't want to hurt anything. And while I was there, somebody like picked up my glasses and brought it over to me and someone else picked up my phone that had flown out <laughs> and brought it to me. And by that time, I, I finally did get to my feet and um, the car was totaled. So it was a, it actually was a bit emotional. Once I, when I call my parents, when I call my parents, that's when the kind of release came. I didn't, wasn't, I hadn't realized how much tension I had in my body, but I, I went over to the taxi, got my stuff out and somebody else offered me a ride and I, I got in the next cab and made it to Erbil to get my plane on time to make Christmas with my... Um, <laughs> no, no major injuries or... I was, I was really sore. My ribs were really sore, but uh -huh. um, I mean, not a scratch, really. Not a scratch physically. Um, your glasses and your phone were both fine. Everything was fine. And the other, the other thing about that, which was funny as I was driving away, which is a very very Kurdish thing. The, the, the other taxi driver that offered me a, a ride as we we're driving away, he kept on looking back at me in the back seat and trying to explain that he, he had seen everything. And just to simulate it, he would yank his steering wheel back and forth no. just to show that he saw that what happened to our car. So, um, and I realized after the fact that as we rolled across the highway, I involuntarily screamed, at just this involuntary thing out of my body and and no one else made a sound so yeah. <laughs> i was a little embarrassed afterward that i was the one that couldn't just you know just take it silently <laughs> <laughs> but that that was that was that was amazing i've had a lot of funny experiences in um in people's offices anyway i'm really grateful that 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 was yeah that that story didn't end badly. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. We're all done. Yeah. Other important, other fun things. I think if you're in Kurdistan, there's so many cool places to go. So uh, I I loved going to Lalish, which is the y Yazidi, y y most important Yazidi um, temples. And then going to Korek Mountain um, and, and, you know, being up in the, in the mountains in the snow and getting a, renting a cabin there. But there's there's a lot of cool historic things to do in Kurdistan and um, have a lot of good memories of going there with friends and teammates. There's a lot to see. What do you miss most? Um, I like I really like walking through cities and I I like that Duhok was really walkable and it's neat because in a small place or in a place like that people really get to know you everywhere you go and so it's even though it's it's not a small town to hook. I mean, it's a big city, but but everywhere you go, it's like you're known, and and you have these little personal relationships with every little shopkeeper and every every place you go. And if you're coming from you know a city in, in America, that might not be an experience you you have often, but it actually does fulfill something in your heart. I think to be to have all these little connections and to be placed, right? Um, even if there's you know, some discomforts from being an outsider, there's a lot of little little things that I appreciate about it. And so I lived for, for a while, I lived above a um, mishmish, which is a sweets shop that delivers cakes and sweets all over to hook. And in the morning, sometimes I just go downstairs and 
help them, you know, set the tables or just sit down and, you know, just a lot of just very familial kind of casual friendships where you, you just, you just hang out. And I, I, I do really miss that. Yeah. I, what's, I miss the hikes as well. There's a lot of cool places to hike in, in Kurdistan. And it's, it's a real fun activity to go, you know, get, put some food together and go up a mountain and spend a morning up there. And I miss people, of course. I, I miss Helmut. Of course, that was assumed already. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, we've talked some about uh, reverse culture shock coming from Kurdistan back to the U.S. What's it like for you going back to Mexico? What things are like, wow, this has really changed? Or mm. I just, because it's been a long time since you've lived in Mexico, right? In like 18 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think to back up, I didn't have a lot of culture shock when I moved to Iraq. And I credit that partially because of my, my background here in Mexico. Some Something about that wasn't completely, totally foreign to me. So I I can't say that I feel a lot of reverse culture shock either. It, it's, it's really nice to step back into Mexico. And I've desired to do that for many years. I think I, I think that the whatever the shock is, it's just because of it's it's a life life transition, right? Mm-hmm. And so taking on a new job or or stuff like that. But Mexico is a very warm culture as well, and so I've actually the the, the city I'm living in right now reminds me of Dehuk. It's surrounded by mountains. It's super small and walkable, uh, and people are rather conservative. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so like you know, people are glancing in my uh, in my shopping cart, you know, inspecting my items, you know, as I'm in the lines, you know. Every, there's like <laughs> not a lot of personal space, yeah. and so it's there's a lot that reminds me of of Iraq, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm actually I'm actually really enjoying it. Uh, it, but it but it feels a little more like home. So I am an outsider in the new city. I, I didn't grow up in northern Mexico. So that means I am there's a lot of cultural things that I'm having to learn here, because it's just there's a lot of different differences between north and south. So yeah, um, I'm still kind of learning things culturally. I don't know if that's a good answer to the question, but it makes sense. I mean, I felt like some of those mm. things that for me moving to Nashville culture shock or re-entry was eased in some part by the fact that the South is such a different culture than where I grew up. It was easy to treat it as, oh, this is just another foreign country rather than like recognizing all the things that were different from where I grew up or that, you know, it wasn't how I experienced it growing up. I'd say the, the other, I think maybe I'm just fortunate that the place that I have landed here has a really kind of tight knit special community and they're very hospitable. So it's it's not like I'm starting out as a stranger. And and so I think I would feel I would feel the loneliness probably a lot more if I were starting out uh, like in a new place completely alone, right? That that's really nice. And your Spanish is all coming back to you. Well, uh, well, yes and no. I think, you know, after so I I'm I am a native and fluent speaker. But there's a lot of work to do, let's just say. And and do pe- people people do make fun of me. So <laughs> you have <laughs> that's uh, nothing new. <laughs> you have like Kurdish words come to mind instead of the Spanish one, or I mean, you got a lot of language. Oh man, you know, I know in, in Kurdistan, I would certainly sometimes uh, Spanish would be 
it, it wouldn't be an issue until I spoke to someone on the phone in Spanish. And then the next day in class, I'd mix in some Spanish. Um, mm -hmm. But actually, no, there are Kurdish expressions that come to my mind when living life. And I hope I hope that's always the case. I want it to be with me forever. So, <laughs> yeah. and if I lose it, I have to go back to Kurdistan and get some more. Yeah, we've uh, taught our roommates over the years several Kurdish phrases that are still a part of our lives. Yeah. So, yep. And we we frequently ask each other like, "What time is it in Kurdish?" Because it's easier to think of it that way than in English, which is bizarre. Yeah, I think um, I think with at least with my even with my siblings, we, we grew up speaking English to each other inside the home. Right. Mm -hmm. And Spanish in other places. But but now when I reconnect with siblings, we basically speak in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And what, what 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 that says to me is that this is the, this is the time that we shared together. Right. And the place that we shared most of our lives together. So speaking in Spanish cuts past everything else and goes right to home. Right. And so it, I think it's, it's an unconscious thing, but that's what, that's a way of being kind of close to each other. And so I think that's, I could do that with, you know, teammates from Kurdistan too, you know, a little, a little Kurdish word here and there brings back a lot. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking to us. Yeah. Thanks for giving us your time. Yeah. Sure thing. Yeah. Very, very nice to talk to you. We'll have to touch base again with some stories uh, from Kurdish history. Okay. And, or, or Kurdish myth, maybe. I don't know which, where, where those stories all fall, but it'd be fun to have you share some of those stories. I, I definitely need to polish up and um, get some uh, for student consultants. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> to, yeah. to help me out with that. But yeah, I'd love to. love to hear from you. You can find us at Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram, and you should check out our blog and complete transcripts over at servantgroup.org. And it's really helpful for us if you share our podcast or leave a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. It helps us know that people are listening and you can let us know what you want to hear next. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to go when they end the bloopers part.